0: The Guardian, The Guardian Short Stories Podcast. My name is Hanif Qureshi, and I'm going to read A Hunger Artist by Franz Kafka. In recent decades, interest in hunger artists has greatly diminished. Where it once paid to organize major performances of the kind, under the personal direction of the performer himself. Nowadays, it's completely impossible. They were different times. In those days, the hunger artist engaged the attention of the entire town. From hunger day to hunger day, interest increased. Everyone wanted to see the hunger artist at least once a day. During the later days, there were subscription holders who would sit all day long before the bars of the little cage. At night, too, Tours were arranged to view him, lit by torches to heighten the effect. On fine days, the cage was brought into the open, and then it was especially for the children that the hunger artist was put on show. While he was often just an amusement for the adults, who only attended because it was the fashion, the children would gaze in astonishment, open-mouthed, holding each other's hands for safety, at how he would sit, pale, in his black singlet, with sharply jutting ribs on a floor of scattered straw, scorning even a chair, and at how, with a single courteous nod, he would make an effort to answer questions, and stretch out an arm through the bars for his audience to feel how thin he was, but then would sink into himself, paying attention to no one, not even to the clock, the only furniture in the cage, as it struck the hour so important to him, but would merely gaze ahead with eyes almost closed, and sip now and again from a tiny glass of water, to moisten his lips. Apart from the changing spectators, there were also permanent watchmen elected by the public. Curiously, they were usually butchers, always three at a time, who had the job of observing the hunger artist night and day, to see that even so, he did not in one way or another take some secret nourishment. But it was simply a formality introduced to appease the masses, for the initiated knew perfectly well that during the period of fasting, the hunger artist would never, not under any circumstances, even if coerced, have eaten even the tiniest morsel. The honor of his art forbade it. Nobody, of course, was in a position to spend all their days and nights continuously with the hunger artist, so nobody could know from seeing for himself whether his hungering had been really continuous and without fault. Only the hunger artist himself could know that, so only he could be at the same time the fully satisfied spectator of his own hungering. But then again there was another reason why he was never satisfied. Perhaps it was not hungering at all that had made him grow to be so very emaciated that many, to their regret, had to stay away from the performances because they could not bear to look at him, but he had only become so emaciated out of his own dissatisfaction with himself. For he alone knew what no other initiate knew, how easy hungering was. It was the easiest thing in the world. He didn't hide it either, but nobody believed him. At best, they thought him modest, but mostly they thought he was after publicity or was even a swindler who found hungering easy because he knew how to make it easy for himself and then even had the nerve to half-confess it. He had to take all that. In the course of the years, he'd even got used to it, but inwardly, this state of dissatisfaction gnawed at him, and he had never, not after any period of hungering, they had to testify to that, ever left the cage voluntarily. The uttermost length of time for hungering had been set by the impresario at 40 days. He never allowed hungering to go beyond that, not even in the great cities, and with good reason. For 40 days or so, he knew from experience that by gradually intensifying the advertising, He could whip up the interest of a town higher and higher. But then the public would take no more. Bookings, it was clear to see, became substantially thinner. In this respect, of course, there were slight differences between the towns and the provinces. But, as a rule, forty days was the uttermost time. Then, on the fortieth day, the door of the cage, all garlanded with flowers, would be opened. An ecstatic crowd of spectators filled the amphitheatre. A military band would play. Two physicians would enter the cage to carry out the necessary measurements on the hunger artists. The results would be announced to the hall by megaphone. And finally, two young ladies would arrive, delighted that they were the ones selected by lot, and they would attempt to lead the hunger artist out of the cage down a few steps, where, on a little table, a carefully chosen light meal was waiting for him. And, at this moment, the hunger artist always resisted. True, he still placed his skeletal arms freely into the hands the young ladies stretched out to help him as they bent towards him, but he would not stand up. Why stop just now, when he was still at the height of hungering? Indeed, not yet at the height. Why did they want to rob him of the fame of hungering still further, of becoming not only the greatest hunger artist of all times, which indeed he probably was already, but also to outperform himself far beyond all comprehension, for he felt there were no bounds to his capacity for hungering. Why did this mob, who claimed to admire him so much, have so little patience with him? If he could endure hungering still further, why wouldn't they endure it? He was weary too. He was sitting comfortably in the straw, and now he was supposed to stand up tall and straight and go and eat, the mere thought of which made him feel sick, though out of regard for the ladies he refrained with some effort from demonstrating it. And he looked up into the eyes of those ladies, apparently so kind, in reality so cruel, and shook his too heavy head on its frail neck. But then there happened what always happened. The impresario arrived, lifted his arms silently, the music made speaking impossible, above the hunger artist as if he were inviting heaven to behold its work here for once, on the straw, this pitiful martyr, which the hunger artist was anyway, but in a quite different sense. He clasped the hunger artist round his shrunken waist with exaggerated care to make them believe what a fragile thing it was he had to do with here, and he handed the hunger artist over to the young ladies, who had meanwhile turned deathly pale. The hunger artist now put up with everything, His head drooped on its chest. It was as though it had rolled away and inexplicably remained where it was. His body was hollowed out. His legs, in some instinct of self-preservation, were tightly pressed together, but they still scraped along the ground, as if it were not the real ground, and they were just searching after the real ground, while the entire weight of his body, though very light, lay on one of the ladies. The lady, seeking for help, and with panting breath, first craned her neck as far as possible to keep at least her face from touching the hunger artist. And then she burst into tears to the delighted laughter of the hall and had to be relieved by a servant long stationed in readiness to do so. Then came the meal, which the impresario slipped down the hunger artist's throat just a little as he half fainted, half slept while he himself chattered merrily to draw attention from the hunger artist's condition. Then a toast was raised to the public, which the impresario claimed had been whispered in his ear by the hunger artist. The orchestra reinforced it all with a great flourish. The audience broke up, and nobody had any right to be dissatisfied with what had happened. Nobody, only the hunger artist. Always and only the hunger artist. For many years... With short breaks for rest, he lived like this, in apparent glory, honoured by the world, but for all that, mostly in a dark temper of mind, which became all the darker because no one had the discernment to take it seriously. How were they supposed to console him anyway? What more could he wish for? And if some good-natured person turned up who was sorry for him and tried to explain to him that his sadness probably came from the hungering, it could happen especially at an advanced stage of the hungering period, that the hunger artist would reply with an outburst of rage and, to everyone's horror, begin to shake at the bars of his cage like an animal. But for situations of this kind, the impresario had a punishment he was fond of using. He would make excuses for the hunger artist before the assembled public, admitting that only the irritability provoked by the hungering, not readily comprehensible to the well-fed, could excuse the hunger artist's behaviour. And then in this connection, he would go on to speak of the hunger artist's assertion that he could go on hungering for much longer than he did. He would praise the noble aspiration, the goodwill, the great self-denial that were assuredly also contained in this assertion. But then he would proceed to contradict the assertion simply enough by displaying photographs, which were sold at the same time. For in the pictures, the public saw the hunger artist in the 40th day of hungering, lying in bed, enfeebled, and almost fading away. This distortion of the truth, certainly nothing new to the hunger artist, but every time grating on his nerves afresh, was too much for him. The consequence of ending his hungering prematurely was being represented here as its cause. To struggle against this stupidity, this world of stupidity, was impossible. Again and again he had gone on listening avidly and in good faith to the impresario as he clung to the bars. But every time the photographs appeared, he would let go of the bars, sink sighing back into the straw, and the public, much appeased, was able to approach once more and view him. If the witnesses to such scenes thought back on them a few years later, they often couldn't understand their own attitude For meanwhile, the drastic change already referred to had set in. It happened almost suddenly. There may have been deeper reasons for it, but who cared to discover them? In any case, one day the pampered hunger artist found himself deserted by the pleasure-seeking masses, who preferred to go in their droves to gaze at other spectacles. True, one day the time for hungering would certainly return again, but for the living that was no consolation. What was the hunger artist supposed to do now? The performer, who had been surrounded by the cheering of thousands, could not make a display of himself in the booths of village fairs, and the hunger artist was not only too old to take up another calling, but was, above all, too fanatically devoted to hungering. So he dismissed the impresario, companion of a career without compare, and accepted an engagement with a big circus. To spare his delicate sensibility, he did not cast a single glance at the conditions in his contract. A big circus, with its countless human beings and animals and apparatus, can find a use for anyone at any time, including a hunger artist with his, of course, appropriately modest demands. Besides, in this particular case, it wasn't just the hunger artist himself who was being engaged, but also his name, famous from old times. Deep down, though, Even the hunger artist did not lose his sense of the real state of affairs, and he took it for granted that they did not exactly set him up as the star number with his cage in the middle of the ring, but outside, in a position near the stables. Big coloured signs framed the cage, announcing what was to be seen there. During the intervals in the shows, when the public surged to the stables to view the animals, It was almost impossible for them to avoid passing by the hunger artist and pausing there for a moment. They might have stayed longer with him if the crowds coming after them, not understanding this pause on the way to the eagerly awaited stables, had not made longer peaceful contemplation impossible. This was also the reason why, when these visiting times came round, which naturally, as his life's purpose, he longed for, the hunger artist would tremble nevertheless, In the early days he could hardly wait for the intervals. He had looked with delight towards the masses as they thronged forward, until only too soon, even the most stubborn, most conscious self-deception could not withstand what he experienced so often. He became convinced that they were, most of them intentionally, over and over again, without exception, nothing more than visitors to the stables. And this view of them from a distance still remained the best one, When they came right up to his cage, the shouts and curses of the constantly shifting factions instantly stormed around him. The ones who wanted to look at him at their ease, not out of sympathy, but on a whim, and just to be stubborn, and the second group, who most of all just wanted to get to the animals. And it was a none-too-frequent happy chance when the father of a family came along with his children and would point with his finger at the hunger artist explaining in detail what it was all about, telling of earlier years when he had attended similar but incomparably more impressive performances, and then the children, lacking the satisfactory grounding from school or from life, would still, it is true, remain uncomprehending. What did hungering mean to them? But in spite of that, would still reveal in the brightness of their inquiring eyes something of new, more merciful times to come. Perhaps... A hunger artist would sometimes tell himself then, everything would get slightly better if his position were not quite so near the stables. That made the choice too easy for people, to say nothing of how much the smell from the stables, the restlessness of the animals at night, the raw meat carried past him for the beasts of prey, a howling at feeding time, offended and constantly depressed him. But to make representations to the management was too much for him to dare, In any case, he was beholden to the beasts from the mass of visitors, among whom there might be someone meant for him, and who knew where they might hide him if he were to remind them of his existence, which would also remind them that he was, strictly speaking, only an obstacle on the way to the stables. A small obstacle, it's true, an obstacle which was becoming smaller and smaller, People became used to how strange it was in the present day to expect attention to be paid to a hunger artist. And with this familiarity, the verdict on him was pronounced. Well might he hunger as much as he would and could, and he did, but nothing could save him further. They passed him by. Just try to explain to someone the art of hungering. Anyone who doesn't feel it can't be brought to understand it. The beautiful signs became dirty and illegible. People tore them down. No one thought to replace them. The little board registering the number of hunger days completed, which in the beginning had been renewed daily with care, had long remained unchanged, for after the first weeks the attendants had had enough of even this small chore. And so it is true. The hunger artist went on hungering as he had once dreamed of doing, and he succeeded, just as he had foretold at the time. But no one counted the days, no one, not even the hunger artist himself knew the scale of his achievements so far and his heart grew heavy. And if once in a while some idle stroller stopped and made fun of the old figures and spoke of fraud, it was in this sense the most stupid lie it was possible for indifference and inborn malice to invent. For it was not the hunger artist who cheated. He labored honestly, but the world cheated him of his reward. But many more days passed, and that too came to an end. One day a supervisor happened to notice the cage and asked the servants why this perfectly good cage with its rotten straw, which they could put to good use, had been left empty. No one knew until someone, helped by the board and its figures, remembered the hunger artist. They poked at the straw with poles and found the hunger artist. What? You're still hungering? asked the supervisor. When are you going to stop? Forgive me, everyone, whispered the hunger artist. Only the supervisor, who had his ear to the cage, could understand his words. Of course, said the supervisor, pointing his finger at his forehead, as a sign to the attendance of the hunger artist's state of mind. Of course we forgive you. I always wanted you to admire my hungering, said the hunger artist. And we do admire it, said the supervisor obligingly. But you shouldn't admire it, said the hunger artist. Well then, we won't admire it, said the supervisor. Why shouldn't we admire it? "'Because I have to hunger. I cannot do otherwise,' said the hunger artist. "'Well now,' said the supervisor, "'why can't you do otherwise?' "'Because,' said the hunger artist, lifting his frail head slightly "'and speaking with lips puckered as if for kissing, "'right into the supervisor's ear so that not a word was lost. "'Because I could not find the food that was to my taste. "'If I had found it, believe me, I would not have caused a stir.' and would have eaten my fill, like you and everyone else. These were his last words, but his exhausted eyes still held the firm, though no longer proud, conviction that he was still continuing to hunger. Now, clear up. Let's have some water, said the supervisor. And they buried the hunger artist along with the straw. But into the cage they put a young panther. It was a recovery that even the bluntest of senses could feel, to see this wild beast leaping around in the cage that had been desolate for so long. It lacked for nothing. The keepers did not have to reflect for long about bringing it the sustenance that was to its taste. It didn't even seem to miss its freedom. This noble body, equipped nearly to bursting with all the necessaries, seemed to carry its freedom around with it too. It seemed to have it hidden somewhere in its teeth, and its joy of life came with such fiery breath from its jaws that it wasn't easy for the spectators to resist it. But they held out, surged around the cage and wouldn't stir from the spot. Now here's Lisa Allardyce, editor of Guardian Review.
1: The critic Heinz Politzer says that there is not one self-explanatory word in a typical Kafka narrative. A hunger artist seems to me um, testament of of that statement. What's, What's going on here?
0: A hunger artist is a man who would rather suffer than eat. Some people say that Kafka is something of a, of, of a male artist. But you might say that this is really a story about um, anorexia. It's a very contemporary story in that sense. Somebody who would rather die than eat. And not only that, he exhibits his suffering in a cage for the public. So you might say that this might be a picture, say, of, of a child. Or, or of a young woman or, 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 or man who is refusing themselves something in order, say, to make a point to their parents. I mean, this is a metaphor that can be extended, like most of Kafka's work, in, in, in a thousand ways. But it's a beautiful story about someone who is punishing themselves forever until they die, rather than have satisfaction or pleasure. And that seems to me to be a very modern story. And not only that, they are punishing themselves, depriving themselves until they die for the public. And you might say that, uh, you know, a good deal of reality television involves us looking at people who are driving each other mad while we look on.
1: A lot of readings of it seem to be that, that the, the hunger artist is Kafka. It's the ignored, the neglected, the forgotten, the estranged artist.
0: What's interesting about the hunger artist as a story is it re- rather resembles Kafka's earlier story, uh, The Metamorphosis, which is obviously one of the great, considered to be one of the great masterpieces of, of, of literature, which is the story about a young man who wakes up, as you know, one day and, and finds that he's turned into a beetle, into an insect. And in a similar way to this, he sacrifices himself or dies in front of his family. So the story is about deprivation again. The story is about exhibitionism because he does it in front of his mum and dad. And it's a story about what you have to do. You might say in order to enable your family to flourish, At the end of the metamorphosis, the family, when he finally dies, the beetle, the insect, Gregor Samsa, the family rather cheers up and they go on holiday and the daughter then becomes a sort of sexual woman. In this story, the cage is cleaned out. And, 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 and this and,
1: panther, this beautiful, noble, hungry panther is put in his place. Which a
0: real th- man is put into his place, that's right. And so there are similarities between these two stories. And as you say, it's a picture of Kafka himself, who was obsessed with food, refused to eat, only ate certain things and so on, um, and was very, very thin and tall, turned his, let's say, his masochism into art as does the the character in the cage in the story uh towards the end of his life he was obviously dying of tuberculosis but in another sense he was always dying he wanted to die it was the art of dying that interested him he wanted to kill himself it was a long suicide his life was devoted to death and he was never happier than than, than when he was dying um, and that masochism you might say we all recognize as being at the heart of human life
1: You've written lots of short stories and there's a wonderful fat collected volume that was just out was it last year. Some of your stories have a very strong metaphorical intent or, or are parable-like. How much has, has Kafka been an influence on, on you and your writing?
0: Reading Kafka as a young man enabled me to see that you didn't always have to be a realist. I mean, when I was a young writer, I wanted to write about the music people listened to, the trousers they wore, the social situation in which people lived, because I thought that people hadn't written about Britain from the point of view of race, and you had to do it realistically. But Kafka, of course, was a minority too. He was um, a Jew living in, in, in Prague and speaking in a language, I guess, that really wasn't his own, German. And so he found metaphors for his condition. I think it's liberating to think that you don't always and only have to be realistic or naturalistic, that you can show things rather than tell them directly, and I think that, that would have helped me as a writer.
1: How do you feel about the form? Is it something you keep returning to because it's particularly satisfying?
0: The short form is very satisfying because it's like a postcard. It's very direct. You can get it there and then you say it. And it's a very, very powerful form. And you normally read a short story in one go as opposed to a novel that you might read over, as it were, several journeys on the tube. So it's very direct. It's very strong. It's very powerful. It's very resonant. You can get through it quickly. It's not like a novel. You don't, it doesn't have layers and layers. It just works directly as a metaphor, like a song. It has to go off, explode, as it were, at that moment in the reader's mind and make an impression there and then.